Father, we love you. And we are overwhelmed, Lord, when we are in your presence, at your holiness, at your gracious, your graciousness to us, your mercy, your loving kindness that is unbelievable. We thank you, Lord, that even when we are not faithful to you, you are always faithful to us. We thank you that you have forgiven our sins. We thank you, Lord, for our position in Christ and that we can come boldly before your throne. We do thank you for the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us and, Lord, that works in hearts and lives, making us aware of Jesus, his sacrifice, making us aware of the glory of God. And, Lord, I pray that tonight you would, you would be lifted up. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we open up the Word of God, much of a Bible study tonight. I pray, God, that you would uh, speak to our hearts and challenge us and change us. We submit ourselves underneath the authority of your Word. We submit to it tonight, whatever it is that your Spirit speaks to us about. Lord, we pray that we would leave changed, that we would leave encouraged and, and challenged. And, Lord, that we would be more about intercessory prayer. Um, we pray, Lord, tonight for Bill, especially, and Wes, as they're traveling. We pray that you'll give them safety. And then tomorrow, as uh, Bill goes in for scans, Lord, we pray for another clear report. We thank you for how you've worked in Bill's life and his body. We thank you for how you saved his soul just uh, a year or so ago and how he has followed you in baptism. And Lord, his heart is tender towards you. We pray that you will continue that and that you will use the difficulties and the things that he has went through, Lord, to give him a platform uh, to share the gospel with people and, Lord, to bring you glory from his life. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would just uh, meet with us again tonight. Thank you for meeting with us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for working in hearts and for response to your word. And we pray, Lord, that again tonight that you would do the same. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand one more time for the reading of God's word in 1 Timothy chapter 2? 1 Timothy chapter 2, we'll read the first eight verses We've been doing a series on on Sunday evenings since the beginning of the year entitled Resolved and some just some things in our life that we need to come back to, uh, that we need to be resolved in. And so tonight we come to uh, the subject of intercessory prayer, intercessory prayer. Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, I exhort therefore that first of all, And I would encourage you to mark those three words. First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 
Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. You may be seated. Verse 4 is certainly a key verse in this section as it reminds us of the primary reason why we should be committed to intercessory prayer. I want you to look at it again and read it with me, if you will. Verse number 4, let's read it all aloud together. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. One more time. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. One thing that I know to be true is that fervent intercessory prayer is an exercise of spiritual commitment and it is something that is easy, easily neglected. It is something that takes great energy. It is something that is easily set aside if we're not careful in the Christian life. And I would say this, it may be, it may be one of the most neglected Christian practices in the lives of Christians, and I will say this and admit to you that for many years it was it was a neglected practice in my own life. I did not see it through the lens of the Scripture, and even still today, you know, the more that I practice it, the more I feel like I need to be practicing it more. The more involved you are in intercessory prayer, the more you sense the need that this is something that I need to be doing more of. And intercessory prayer is one of those things that a lot of times there is no glory in it for us. There is no, it's not like coming to church on Sunday and we all see you and we're glad that you're here. Many times it's done in the secret places and the quiet places where there is no one that sees it. But tonight I want you to see how important intercessory prayer is. And if it is not a part of our life, or it is not a proper part of our life, that tonight we would recommit, that we would resolve to make intercessory prayer a priority, an important thing in our life. And I think that I can show you from Scripture why it should be. I want to go back just before we get into the text and lay a little bit of a foundation for you to understand this is not just a New Testament principle. It goes back into the Old Testament where the men of God, the prophets of God, the servants of God were men of great intercessory prayer for the people that they were leading. It was Moses that prayed for the people of Israel that they would not experience the judgment of God. And by the way, it should be our desire as Christians that no one have to face the judgment of God. It doesn't matter what you think about them or their political position or what they what they have done. It ought to be the desire that that we would want to see no one face the wrath and the judgment of God. Moses in Numbers chapter 11, look at verses 1 and 2. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. By the way, complaining always displeases the Lord. A complaining spirit. And the people here had become very spoiled and they had began to complain at the blessings of God and of course it displeased him. And his anger, it says, was kindled and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost part of the camp and the people cried unto Moses and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. 
Listen to them in Numbers 14, verse 3. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey, were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And hear Moses' prayer in verse number 19. On behalf of the people. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. The passion of Moses' heart cry is to cry out to God for the salvation of that nation. And he was committed to intercessory prayer for the people of Israel that were in a backslidden state, that were complaining against God. He, he realized that if this did not stop, if something did not change, that they would face the wrath of God. They would face the judgment of God. And so Moses, on their behalf, goes to them in intercessory prayer. We see it again in the life of Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 23. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Did you catch what he said? God forbid that I should, what? Sin against the Lord. What was the sin? Not praying for them. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things He hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. Samuel was committed to praying for the people. And then Daniel calls out for God to forgive his sinful people and restore them in their city and their worship. Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse number 17. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. Notice, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God. For thy city and thy people are called by thy name. What a great prayer. A great intercessory prayer. And then you go to the New Testament. And perhaps, I believe... One of the greatest prayers recorded for us in Scripture, recorded by the first deacon of the church, Stephen, as he was being stoned to death. In Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 59, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord Lay not this to their charge. That's an intercessory prayer. That's a prayer for the very people that were stoning him to death. That were killing him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. By the way, we know where Stephen learned that prayer, don't we? For it was on the cross that Jesus said, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. On the cross, Jesus was praying an intercessory prayer. And then the Apostle Paul. 
Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. A prayer for people that he loved. Saul or or Stephen, a prayer for people that were murdering him. The, The leaders of the Old Testament prayer for the people that they were leading. But I want you to bring this now to our text tonight. And I want you to understand this from a local church standpoint. So we come to the New Testament and Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, who has taken over the ministry at the church or is filling in at the church at Ephesus. And there is false doctrine and false teaching that has crept into the church at Ephesus. And it was Timothy's pastoral task to protect and to promote sound doctrine. Look back one chapter at chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We see this. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. But Timothy was not just, listen, he was not just to fight the wolves and keep them out of the church, but he was also to lead the sheep. And so I want you to notice, as Paul now instructs Timothy, his son in the faith, in how to lead the church at Ephesus, I want you to know and see where he begins. He begins where we started tonight in chapter 2 in verse number 1. And I want you to see some observations from this text that Paul wants to convey to Timothy. And listen, this is something that we as a local church, Faith Baptist Tabernacle in Jamestown, Tennessee, that this is is instruction to us because this is not just Paul's words to Timothy. This is inspired Scripture given by the Holy Spirit of God to every local New Testament church. This is for you and I tonight. Paul speaking to us. Church. Church. First of all, prayer should be a top priority. Let me say that again. Prayer should be a top priority. Notice what he says. First of all. First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. In the following passages, as he goes throughout this epistle, Paul is going to give instructions about deacons, about women's role in ministry, about caring for widows, and and many other important things. But he appeals to the church, first of all, to what? To pray. Listen, Paul's not just saying, this is the first in the list of things I'm going to give you. It's not just first in order, it's first in priority. First of all, Timothy, you need to realize the importance of teaching the church of intercessory prayer. And we're going to look at really the heart of the problem as we get into this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38 says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Notice, this is our intercessory prayer. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. 
I'm not going to go through all the different passages tonight, but I believe that the Scripture gives us example and teaches us that there should be scheduled times of prayer. There should be times when we schedule prayer together. And we do that here at our church. We schedule times of prayer. There should also be spontaneous times of prayer. There should be times like just a while ago when I remembered that Bill was on his way for these scans that in those moments that we pray, that there ought to be times when we as brothers and sisters in Christ, we share burdens with, some, with, with each other or we share uh, our burden for a lost loved one that we stop right there in those moments and, and there's spontaneous prayer. Or, or you may get a, a call or a text and say, hey, we are coming together for a spontaneous prayer meeting for this or for this specific thing. That happened in the New Testament church. There were scheduled times. There were spontaneous times. There should be strategic times of prayer. Luke 18 and verse 1, and He spake a parable. Jesus is speaking, as we saw this morning, in parables. And here was the, the whole point of His parable, that men ought always to what? To pray. And not to faint. Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, pray without ceasing. Now this does not mean that the church should do nothing but pray, but it does mean that we should not do anything without prayer. Let me say that again. It doesn't mean that we should do nothing but pray, but it means that we should do nothing without prayer. In all that we do, it should be bathed in prayer. Paul says, first of all, Timothy, this is the priority. The church engages in many good things, but the good can become the enemy of the best. And my prayer is that the Faith Baptist Tabernacle will be a place that puts a top priority on intercessory prayer. And we're going to see why in just a moment. Secondly, I want you to see that prayer should involve fervent evangelistic intercession. And this is the heart of this intercessory prayer. That's good for us to pray like we did a while ago for Bill and we were interceding on his behalf. But listen, the heart of this prayer is evangelistic. Paul begins with saying, I exhort you. In other words, this is, this is serious. I want you to pay attention to this. And the focus is on evangelism. I love what H.B. Charles says about this. Intercession should not be like giving a reference for a colleague. Intercession should be like driving a loved one to an emergency room. That's good, isn't it? I mean, there should be some fervency to it, some intensity to it. This isn't just a casual reference letter. This is an emergency. Why? Because it involves the souls of men and women, boys and girls. Eternity is at stake. We don't want them to face the wrath of God. Paul was a man of great intercessory prayer. We went through the book of Philippians several years ago, I guess it's been. You remember in chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul says, Always, in every prayer of mine, 
for you, all making requests, notice this, with what? Joy. Joy. For the Apostle Paul, it was not so much a duty as it was a joy. A joy to pray for the people that he cared so much about. And as I said earlier, it's humbling, isn't it, to think that Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, is praying for us. He's interceding for us. He is our great example. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Wherefore He, Jesus, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Isn't the church about seeing lives changed? What do we say? This is not a museum. It's a, it's a hospital. And our greatest desire is to see people's lives changed for eternity. Our greatest desire is to see people come into a closer walk with God. And what we're reminded in this text, church, is this. That prayer changes things and prayer changes people. Prayer changes the people that pray. Do you know that? That if you really want to be changed, make prayer a top priority. Give it the time that God wants us to give it. Prayer changes the one who prays and prayer changes those who are being prayed for. We're praying for God to change lives. We're praying for God to change the lives of unbelievers through salvation. We're interceding on their behalf. We're praying for the lives of believers to be changed through sanctification because God is continuing His work of sanctification in our life. Jesus changes lives and and a praying church is the spiritual channel through which the power of Christ changes life. Prayer is the tool that God uses to bring us closer to Him, to bring others into a relationship with Him and closer to Him. I want you to see the scope of intercessory prayer. We see it in the first verse and also again in the fourth verse. The church at Ephesus had developed a doctrine of exclusivity in regards to salvation. They were no longer, obviously, interested in the Great Commission because Paul is making a very clear point here to Timothy in his exhortation to him as leading the church. Paul reminds Timothy, notice this, God wants all men to be saved. There should be lots of amens after that. God according to this passage, wants all men to be saved. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. They had developed a elitist mentality. Elite Jews and Gentiles could come to faith in Christ, but there's no need for us to pray. By the way, there is a sweeping movement of this in our nation that we no longer need to witness and we no longer need to pray for lost people because there's no 
There, there's no reason for us to pray. There's no power in our prayer. It's all been settled. We don't need to evangelize. We don't need to pray. And yet Paul's instruction to Timothy is this. You need to be praying for all men to come to faith in Jesus. This is the scope. No, limitation, no limitations, including verse 2 says, kings and all that are in authority. When Paul wrote this letter, who was in authority in the Roman Empire? It was Nero, a man who did his best to stomp out Christianity. And yet Paul tells the Ephesians to pray for him. It's a little arrogant, isn't it? That we pick and choose which politicians we want to pray for. I mean, he's pretty specific here. You are to pray for all that are in authority. For all of them to come to faith in Christ. Mayors, city council members, governors, congressmen, senators, judges, and all public officials need our prayers. All men at all levels of human society who are without the Lord should be the objects of our prayer. And if there is prejudice in our hearts, towards politicians, towards anyone of another social status. That's where we begin coming to an altar and confessing and repenting our sin before God. Because church, a prejudiced heart is a sin against God. And if there's anybody that you don't want to be saved, you need to repent of that. Paul tells Timothy, you pray for all men. Jesus exchanged his life for our lives. He died our death. He bore our sin. He took our place. He gave himself totally as a substitutionary payment for our sin. And I want you to notice the emphasis on all. Circle them in your Bible. Verse 2, he says, pray for all that are in authority. Verse 4, he says, God will have all men to be saved. Verse 6 says Christ gave himself a ransom for some. No, he gave himself a ransom for how many? All. All, all, all. Jesus, who is the one mediator, came to do a work on the cross that would provide a ransom for all men. And if there's anybody who you don't want to see saved, then Christian Confess and repent your sin before God. Ask God to change your heart, to drive the prejudice out of your heart and out of your life. This is a, an affirmation that we are to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to all men and that we are to support that taking with prayer. Listen, since the God of all men wants all men to be saved, then prayer for all men is consistent with the nature of God. It was John Hyde, the great missionary to India, that prayed, God, give me souls or I die. When I think about that, I... It makes me want to confess and repent. When is the last time that's been my attitude? God, give us souls or I die. 
He was a man, if you read his little book, that was burdened by the Spirit of God in prayer to pray and seek earnestly for one soul a day, and he would not rest until he saw a soul come to Christ. But then God burdened his heart to pray for two souls a day. He would not rest until he saw two people come to faith in Christ each day. And if those days would pass, he would go to bed with such burdened hearts and praying and begging God, and he would intercede on behalf of lost people like we saw in the little boy's testimony this morning who had such a burden for people to come to faith in Christ. And here is a man who, who's, who then the Holy Spirit of God said, I want you to pray for four people, four souls to come to faith in Christ. Listen, I'm just saying, where is our burden for lost souls? This is the point of Paul's challenge. That we would have this burden that we could not get away from and we cannot shake it to where we are driven to our knees in prayer for lost people in this community and around the world. For our missionaries every day who are going out into places where we will never go and proclaiming the gospel that people will be saved there. That God would bring salvation to Washington, D.C. and Nashville, Tennessee. And everywhere, here in Jamestown, the leaders who lead our community, that if any of them are not saved, that they would come to faith in Christ. I believe with all my heart, this is a great element of revival. If you want to see revival come to your heart, be a person of intercessory prayer. It's serious about praying for the souls of people. This is the scope. We see quickly the benefit of it in verse number 2. It's obviously the benefit of intercessory prayer is that lost people would be saved. But what happens when people are saved? It reminds us that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all, all godliness and honesty. Let me say here too that the church should be known in a society as those, as those people who are peacemakers, not troublemakers. That we should be those who seek to make friends with the unsaved, that we should have the testimony that our Savior had, that He was a friend of sinners, that He ate with them, that He spent time with them, that He cared about them, that He went to the places where they were to minister to them. We desire to live lives of godliness and lives of Moral integrity, we desire to pursue the things of God to proclaim the gospel of salvation in the most effective way. These are the benefits of it. Notice thirdly, and I'll just mention this because we've, we've spent a lot of time on it already, but the priority of intercessory prayer here is for the salvation of souls. And Paul says very clearly that salvation is for everyone, but it is only through Jesus Christ. Anyone can have it, but there's only one way. There's only one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 44, 6, Thus saith the Lord, 
the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. There's one mediator, not many. Verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Tonight when you were singing Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, you know why you ought to have been smiling? Because it is the only name whereby men can be saved. He's brought salvation to our hearts. Christ is the only mediator through which people can come to that salvation. And because a lot of people don't believe that, then we need to be praying for them. We need to be interceding for them. And then we must follow up those prayers by doing what we talked about this morning, planting the seed And Paul emphasizes in verse 7 that this is why God called him to preach. So that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, not only should it be a top priority and involve fervent evangelistic intercession, but in the last verse of this little section, we see that prayer should come from a pure heart and a pure life. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. The word holy here means unpolluted, unstained by evil. And Paul is dealing here with the attitude of the people who pray. He's not talking about physical hands, all right? He's not saying before you go into your prayer closet, make sure you go and wash your hands first, lifting up holy hands. No, he's he's talking about our hands represent the works, right? The works of man, what we do, much of what we do, we do with our hands. He's talking about the activity of our life, that there would be holiness in our life. The hand is a symbol of the the activities. And the point is, whoever prays ought to be the kind of person who is living a holy life. We ought to come to our times of prayer. And by, by the way, it's a good way to start our prayer by searching our own hearts to see if there be any sin or wickedness in our own hearts. The psalmist connects these two. In Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath what? Clean hands. A clean life and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He's saying before you come into the presence of God, make sure you have a pure heart and make sure you have a pure life. And then back in our text, he says, without wrath and doubting or dissension. These, these really refer to the inner attitude. No anger. No dissenting against God or men. Prayer from a pure and loving heart. We're to pray with holy lives. We're to pray with holy hearts. Paul urges Timothy to pray. To make it a priority. To make it a top priority. Timothy is to then urge the saints at Ephesus to pray. 
This is, this is the burden of, of this sermon. And it brings us tonight to a place of evaluation, obviously, as the Word of God always does. Are we committed in our life to intercessory prayer? The reason we say resolved intercessory prayer is because maybe you're like me. Maybe there have been times of intense intercessory prayer and you're not in that intense season right now. And you need to, with your pastor, pray and ask God, make me more of a person of intercessory prayer. How many people are on your prayer list? Do you have a prayer list? How many people are on your prayer list that you are praying for their salvation? You say, I don't know any lost people. You just told on yourself. Because if we are being like Jesus and we're a friend of sinners, we know some lost people. So let's pray and ask God to help us be a church that prioritizes intercessory prayer privately and corporately. And I want to encourage you to try one of our prayer meetings. I love our prayer meetings. It's just a handful of us. And I'm not always able to be here. You don't, you don't have to be here every single time. It's great if you can. I'll tell you, it's, it's a shot in my arm to begin days. To listen to my brothers and sisters in Christ pray for us to pray over the salvation list. And then sometimes for us to come in and be able to rejoice that one of those names has been marked off. It does something for your faith. Prayer changes the prayer, the one praying. It changes other people, but it changes me. Let me ask you something. Is prayer not our communication to God? If we say we want a deeper relationship with God, how do we have a deeper relationship without communication? You you go to a marriage seminar, and what is one of the sessions typically always about? It's geared right at us men most of the time. But it's about what? Communication. If we're going to have a strong relationship with God, don't you think there's going to have to be strong communication? Look, when I pray in my prayer closet, it builds my faith, it builds this relationship with God. When I pray with my brothers and sisters in Christ, it does the same thing, but I'll tell you something else it does. It builds my relationship with my brother. It lets me hear their heart. It lets me bear their burdens. And isn't that what the church, the local church, ought to be doing, growing in our relationship to one another? How many of you think corporate prayer could really be an asset to the unity of a local church? Absolutely. It's one of the most needed things our church has Thankfully, we have no problems with disunity. I'm so thankful. In four years that I've been here, praise be to God and may it continue. There has never been a a spirit of dissension and disunity. And I believe that's why the Lord's blessed. 
What could build unity any more than corporate prayer? Listen, you don't have to be a fancy prayer. Nobody's going to judge you in your praying. We're not here saying, oh, you, you, said the wrong, you said the wrong word there. No, no, prayer brings us together. It builds the body of Christ. And I personally, we have prayer meeting on Wednesday mornings at 7.15. We do that because of our school, and we do it before, before school starts. And people can still get to work. And then we do it on Saturday morning at, at 8 o'clock. And then sometimes we have spontaneous prayer meetings. We, we have a group that has started praying in the library on Sunday mornings at um, 9.15. I mean, can prayer do anything but help us? Can it do anything but bring us closer together, closer to God, and be the thing that allows us to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. It is our goal, it is our mission to sow the seeds. But let us go before those seeds with prayer and praying and asking God to go before us. Father, thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, for just the good spirit that's here tonight in our church. Thank you for the good spirit that was here this morning. Lord, I I believe there is a group of people here that want to see you do something even greater than what we've seen. There is a, a church here, a body of believers, a family. And God, we need to grow closer together. There's... There's not any dissension. There's not any disunity that I'm aware of. And yet, I know this. We need to be closer than we are. The enemy is going to attack us. So God, I pray that you would unify us through prayer. I pray that we would be a committed people, Lord, to intercessory prayer evangelistically. I pray that we would be praying not only for those that we love, yes, but those that we struggle with, honestly, loving. Those who spit in your face, those who mock you, those in leadership who obviously scoff at you. And often in our defense as your children, we... We rise up in righteous anger, but God, it's not an excuse for us not to pray for them, to pray for their salvation. God, make us friend of sinners. Make us people who love people who others don't love, don't have time for. Allow us as we're praying now and trying to get into the jail here to have ministry. Lord, give us that open door, we pray. The people there need Jesus. They need to know that they're loved. God, open up doors of opportunity in this community where we can befriend and love on sinners. And Lord, help us to be people who pray
pray for their souls. Give them faith, we pray, to trust you. We pray for those who are attending our services even now. Lord, that don't know you. We pray, God, that you would continue to deal with their heart. Be merciful to them, we pray. Be gracious to them. Have mercy on them. Be long-suffering with them, we pray. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for your unconditional love for us and for lost people. As I was studying this, I was reminded again of the video we saw just a few weeks ago of Pastor Simbola and that man. He didn't want his money. He just wanted his Jesus. And God forgive us for prejudging people when we see them. Help us, Lord, to have your heart. Give us your heart of care and compassion and love for people. Forgive us for being judgmental. If they misuse us or use us, so be it, God. So be it. It's You've told us that giving to the least of these is an act of worship and an act of service. So God, help us to be those kinds of people. I pray, Lord, that you would um, you would send revival to our hearts. Revive us. Awaken us, Lord. Some of us have just fallen asleep spiritually. Just existing. Just, just going through the motions. And we pray as, as Revelation tells us, Lord, that we would pray that we would return to the first works. The elementary things. The basics, the things that build our relationship and our faith, the prayer, the word of God, the gathering of the people of God, that these things would again become a priority in our life. But God, most of all, first of all, God, first of all, Help us to be people of prayer, intercession, supplication, prayer, and thanksgiving. And we do thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts. And we thank you for what you are going to do in the days ahead through your power and through your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.